Welcome to Candid Christian Conversations, a show that challenges you to dive deep into the Word of God in order to discern today's most challenging subjects. Hello and welcome to Candid Christian Conversations. I'm Hank and I'll be joined by JP on this episode. Our topic today, should Christians serve in the military? This should be an interesting topic. JP, welcome to the show. Hey Hank, thanks for having me. I am happy to have you. I want as much uh, information from you on this topic as I can possibly get. Right on. Happy to contribute. Okay. Let's jump right into it. Sounds good. Since war is pre-planned and thought out, does that make any of the killings that transpire murder? I want to reach back to the last time I was on the show with you, and uh, I characterized the nature of the Christian faith as uh, a warrior, uh, warrior nature. We're called warriors in scripture. We watch uh, God wage war against Satan and his lieutenants, uh, even though we also know and have the uh, biblical hope that it is finished, right? But we watch that war play to its end. And he uses his people to exact judgment and justice uh, through war at times. He even uses the ungodly, like we had talked about Nebuchadnezzar, as his own instruments to discipline his people. So God is sovereign. uh, And in that uh, war doesn't exist outside of God's sovereignty or plan. If we go back to Exodus 20, looking at the Ten Commandments, uh, we're told not to kill. And the word that's used there, just like a lot of English words, um, meaning is driven by context. Uh, there's a there is a companion word, by the way, in Greek in the New Testament that falls into the same um, the same pickle, I guess. Uh, context matters. But uh, here in Exodus 20, that word kill is, uh, most of the commentators say, is most accurately rendered murder. And in uh, Acts 9-1, for example, we see the Greek equivalent to that word that's rendered as murder or actually technically slaughter. Um, So when you think of murder, think of the illegal taking of an innocent life. Um, So you're asking about murder uh, killing and war being murder. It, there could be instances or acts of murder in a war. Those, if identified, would be dealt with as crime, um, not as justified or lawful killing. Uh, and that's why you see uh, across the entire developed world emphasis on things like minimizing collateral damage. Uh, you don't want to strike institutions or places that don't have real military value value that would get you to the end state, which would include terminating the war. So killing broadly, remember, uh, murder is always killing, but uh, not all killing is murder. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and that goes back you again to the last time we were together talking about things like cities of refuge, uh, places where God acknowledges that killing can happen and it's accidental. That isn't handled the same way as murder. So that's that's kind of the point of departure, I think, for um, killing in the military. Are, are there people who conduct crimes and even commit murders across history? Absolutely. Is all military killing murder? I would say not. It is not. Now, how does the Christian soldier reconcile potentially being put in situations where they may have to take a life? You know, not necessarily uh, right. In the sense of a murder, but in a situation where they, they're going to be forced to choose potentially their life right. for somebody else's. For somebody else's. Um, it, at a minimum, this is a matter of conscience for the Christian. Uh, and I, I'll throw in that it's a matter of calling, too. 
Uh, as Christians, this is no different than the problem you might find uh, yourself in if you were uh, in another position outside the military that would require you to justly kill or to allow somebody to die. So consider um, police officers, for example, to a greater extent, not so much that they would cause the death of another, but firefighters who may have to make a decision about a life if they're unable to, say, save everybody in a burning building. Um, th those, are, those are burdensome decisions. Romans 13.4 makes what I believe is a clear statement that governments, by the way, have the authority to bear the sword and that they, being the governments, are agents of wrath to bring punishment on wrongdoers. Um, now, that's not a statement that says anything a government does is lawful or correct, but God tells us that he uses governments back to Nebuchadnezzar, a, clearly not a godly, a godly government, that God uses even the ungodly governments to mete out justice or, uh, or punishment at times. Yes. Um, so that's difficult. We watch in the near term, harsh, uh, horrible things happen. But I think the burden on us as Christians is to remind ourselves that that is all still within God's sovereign control. Um, back to Christian soldiers reconciling a decision to um, take a life or not. Uh, I, I would hope or I would appeal to somebody who's listening that considers the military as, as a job, if not a calling, uh, outright that that's something you need to think about before you join any armed service, the military, law enforcement, what have you. If your conscience causes you pause, there there may be another path for you to take. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that that potential conflict couldn't be worked out uh, in favor of military service, but it may not be able to be worked out. Uh, and it's not fair to the military, nor is it fair to the individual to Put yourself into a position where uh, you are constantly fighting uh, a moral problem for you. So conscience, you know, I'm going to keep pounding that. The individual conscience in the context of scripture really matters here. Most certainly. Now let's uh, depart from that and go to the guilty by association sort of uh, uh, conversation. Right. Even if a Christian performs a job in a service that, you know, doesn't put them in harm's way, doesn't put them in a position to kill— you will still have some people out there that will point a finger and say, well, you're part of the overall army or armed service, so you are accountable. You're guilty by association, as you said. Yeah, this is a, this is a sticky problem that doesn't appear to be sticky on the surface because that's a pretty clean statement, right? If you maybe you don't uh, cause directly cause the death of, uh, of an enemy. Um, to get well, I'm I'm clean in that regard, but you helped bringing the ammunition forward that the combat forces used to kill the enemy. Therefore, are you contributing to the to the death of another? Um, back to conscience, that is clearly a factor here. Christians have to decide at what point they can face God and 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 feel clean in their actions. I'm deliberately avoiding saying, oh, there's an easy answer here. If you kill somebody, it's wrong. And, and if you contribute to the killing of somebody, it's wrong. I, I think, and we see this in civil courts even, right? Murder is wrong and accomplices and people who materially support 
the planning of and the carrying out of murders are criminals as well. But uh, I want to deliberately say we're not talking about that now. We're talking about the lawful use of the military as an instrument of the state. Um, we can hearken back to just war theory and things like that, which um, might be a topic for another time. But the thought that goes into a Christian's involvement in in killing another for lawful purposes is is um, this is boogery, right? It's a hard, it's a hard thing. I want to bring up the love of your neighbor um, in here. By the way, uh, we we as Christians are obviously obligated to love our neighbors, and and that may be people that we we love in a worldly and proper sense. It may be people that we don't care for, but there is a Christian obligation to love. Uh, that love should be extended to our enemies on the battlefield. That doesn't mean they're not our enemies, nor does it excuse the car the harm that they want to cause uh, cause us or our families or our country. So there's a there's a necessary uh, wrestling with those concepts. I think that falls on the Christian and military service to balance out that that spiritual love we have for somebody that desire to see them saved, uh, to to know the gospel, to know Jesus. Uh, but at the same time, we may be in a in a literal uh, life or death struggle with them in the earthly context. That becomes something that Christians have dealt with probably as long as there have been Christians in war. And I'll extend that back to the Jews, uh, Jews who have had to execute God's will on the battlefield. No doubt the burden of slaying the enemy isn't clean and, and academic. So uh, accomplices, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna point out a couple of uh, colleagues of mine when I was in the service that um, dealt with this well. I thought uh, I know two two other men that were uh, in the uniform service in the military. They were in the Air Force, which is where I served. And both of those men, to a great extent, were uh, pacifists. They weren't pacifists in the sense that they w- would not contribute to conflict or combat, but they couldn't do it themselves, arguably. Both of those men decided, though, because they acknowledged that there's a place for war and for the lawful killing of enemies of individuals in the state, that they would do all they could do outside of bearing arms to to support the safety and security of our country. Uh, Both of them served a career in the military. They were not people listening may think, oh, I wonder if they were medics. They neither of them were medics, uh, although there are stories in U.S. military history in particular where we've had people who are who are pacifistic or on the cusp, if not actually conscientious objectors who were pressed into service for a variety of reasons and ended up serving as medics um, wouldn't refuse. They would refuse to bear arms, but they would do what they could to to save the sick and the wounded. So kind of neat. Uh, that's that's the issue that that Christians have to wrestle with as they look at military service. Most certainly. Now, as we delve into this next one, are there any scriptures that you think would support a Christian serving their country in the military? Sure. Uh, not an exhaustive list, but uh, there are scriptures that I tend to have gone to through the time that I was in the service, and I can share uh, a couple of those with you. I want to start with this this overarching concept, though, is that I don't see anywhere in Scripture, Old or New Testament, a prohibition, an explicit prohibition for military service, uh, nor is there a command 
necessarily to just go serve in the military, right? There, there's an absence of that kind of guidance uh, there. Uh, but I'm starting from the perspective that I don't see anything that says, as a Christian, you cannot serve in the military or or uh, any other career or pr uh, profession or whatnot within the certain context, that context being uh, lawful behavior, obviously. So uh, scriptures, uh, two things here. First, we see examples of members of the military receiving accolades from Jesus, and I'm going to cover a, a couple of those real quick. Second, we don't see Jesus telling those military members to leave the military service once he's actually engaging with them. In fact, I would argue we kind of see the opposite. The absence of a direction like that suggests that maybe they should continue where they are. Uh, I'll come back to that. But here's, here's some verses to consider that might add some color to the conversation. Matthew uh, chapter 8, verses 5 through 13, talking about Jesus. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him appealing to him, Lord, my servant is laying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Love that. Context being, this was a centurion. This is a military man who isn't just a foot soldier. He is arguably the commander of, you know, a lot of historians will talk about about a hundred other men. Therefore, the, the, use, the use of centurion. Here's another one out of Luke, and it's and it's uh, related, but there's some other info here that I think brings even more context. And after Jesus finished, this is Luke 7, verses 1 through 10. After Jesus finished presenting all his words among the people, he entered Capernaum. So again, this is the same story, but told from Luke's perspective. A centurion had a servant who was very important to him, but the servant was ill and about to die. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to Jesus to ask him to come and heal a servant. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly pleaded with Jesus. He deserves to have you do this for him, they said. He loves our people, and he built our synagogues for us. Jesus went with them. Now remember, he's talking about a centurion who did these things. He had almost reached the house when the centurion sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, don't be bothered. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. So here, here we see that same accounting just told a little differently. In fact, I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you just to say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm also a man appointed under authority with soldiers un under me. And he goes on and recounts that same part. Uh, so there was an engagement with this centurion even before they were face to face, it looks like. That is awesome. Uh, and, and yet this man stood with faith as a Roman. He was still, he built synagogues. He had this servant and he knew who Jesus was yep. and appealed to him. Um, and Jesus says, you know, I've not seen faith like this, uh, even in Israel. <laughs> Outstanding. You know, and he didn't say, good for you, centurion. What I'd like you to do is hang up that helmet and put down <laughs> your weapons and follow me. No doubt there's a follow me in there, right? <laughs> right. But he doesn't, he doesn't give direction like leave the military. Uh, it, it just goes on. Um, Acts, let's go to Acts 10, 1 through 2. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known 
as the Italian cohort, a devout man. Consider, look at this definition or this explanation here. A devout man who feared God with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. It sounds like these these centurions or this centurion, if this is the same fellow, um, are laudable. And the fact that their military doesn't seem to be a distraction or it doesn't diminish their uh, their faith. Right. Because that would be a uh, point of contention if it really did. Right. You know, that would be something that would be brought up. Yes. You know, we've watched Jesus in other sets of circumstances tell somebody, leave what you're doing and follow me. Yep. But you don't see that here. One more, and then we'll wrap this up out of Acts 27, 41 through 44. Paul's on a ship. The ship runs aground on, a, on this boat, this vessel. And then these events unfold. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill all the prisoners, lest any should escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. So... Here we have another military man. You have military members saying, let's just kill all the prisoners because some might escape. And again, a commander, right? A centurion. He says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. All of you that can swim, get off now and swim to shore. And we're going to put the rest of these folks, we're going to let them cling to pieces of the ship as it broke up and, and bring them in all safely. And it says that they were all brought safely to land. Um, apparently, laudable uh, were, were given that story in scripture. First Corinthians, sorry, I'll, I'm going to give one more to you. Uh, just just a reference, folks can look this up. First Corinthians seven twenty. Um, there we see God telling us the collective us, right, Christians, to remain in the calling in which we were called, and that is the story of my own testimony. Uh, and I'm not saying that God can't call somebody away from a direction that they were headed at the moment of salvation or even after salvation. Certainly that happens. Um, but it's an interesting default position that God tells us to remain in the calling in which we were called. So I, I became a Christian in 1984. I was in college and was headed into the military. I was going through a reserve officer training corps. The, my, my plan, my goal, uh, without knowing the Lord was that I was going to come into the military and, and serve. When I became a Christian, almost immediately, I mean, within what seemed like days, as I remember back, uh, I thought, well, I was so excited, as happens, especially to somebody that isn't brought up in a Christian home. I was so excited by the Lord and by my faith that I thought, I need to, I need to change what I'm doing here, go to seminary and become a minister, right? Um, well. What I learned pretty quickly through the counsel of uh, others who were more mature in the faith around me, uh, messages given by the pastor at church who may not have even known I was struggling with this issue, was just what First Corinthians says, that I, I should remain—this became the uh, a burden on my—not a burden in a bad sense, right, but a, a burden on my heart that essentially God saved me coming into the military at the time he chose— because he wanted me in the military as one of his children. And there were times throughout my career, it lasted 28 years, that I continued to entertain thoughts of going to seminary, of 
resigning my commission before 20 years, after the 20 year point, retiring and going off. And every time as I humbly sought God's will and prayer, I felt, uh, which can be dangerous, of course, but I felt like God kept saying, stop, stop trying to deviate from what I have you doing now. And a ministry unfolded inside the military across almost three decades. That's awesome. You know, I think because I was sensitive to it, that if God had wanted me to leave the military, I would have been sprung load to do that. If God was commanding it because the military is an improper profession, I'm fairly certain I would have felt that as well. Yes. I always tell friends and family, you're right exactly where he wants you. You know, (laughs) he he doesn't have any Mm -hmm. trouble getting us to whatever spot he wants us in. Right. Right. And again, I, I could have very easily left my my new Christian assumption at the time was I'm not going to go into the military. I'm going to I'm going to serve God. Very shallow perspective of service. Right. Right. Uh, well, I need to go get ordained to be a minister. Well, no, no, you don't. That's every new Christian ever. Always. Uh, there's always some part of us that believes that, oh, I must go into ministry. Well, ministry takes all sorts of forms. Right. Tent makers. Yep. Tax collectors, you know. Yes. It can go in any direction, and it's the precision in which God puts you in a position that is the true beauty and glory of God is the precision in which he does things. He's sovereign. You know, I mentioned that before. That that plan that he has can't be frustrated, I believe. Uh, He has a place for us. You know, there's a great uh, military man, Stonewall Jackson, who— in American history, who was a Presbyterian and not a an endorsement or a plug or saying the Presbyterian church is the way to go. Uh, but, you know, it was an interesting recounting of essentially how he got his nickname um, in the movie and in the book, Gods and Generals. And one of his, actually a slave who was supporting him, turned to him asking questions about slavery in the context of Christianity and those kinds of things. And then, as I recall, it was that same scene. If it's not, forgive me, but if people see this movie or remember it better than I do, the, you know, they'll see that it, this doesn't diminish from that. At one point, he's asked by, it was either a soldier or this servant, how can you sit on that horse when there's bullets flying around and not fear? And his view, which is one that I, I tend to hold, uh, with my own life is he said, I belong to God. And if it's not my time, according to his plan, then no enemy can harm me. And if it is my time, according to God's plan, there's nothing I can do to stop it. And so he sat atop that horse and ultimately earned the name Stonewall Jackson (laughs) because he he stood there like a stone wall. Um, That element of his faith coming through in the movie excited me that that frankly, that Hollywood would capture that at all. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's that, that's that mindset captured well or poorly. I don't know that God is in control and you do what he calls you to do and you do it well yep. and serve in that capacity and he blesses it. Amen. Uh, we're running out of time. Just, uh, could we get a, just a few things that maybe a Christian sh- should consider before joining the military? Yeah. It's really a wrap up. Um, somebody who's thinking about the military needs to be honest with themselves about what the military is there to do. Um, you know, flippantly a little bit, it's to break things and kill people. Um, 
you know, I don't want to make light of the killing people part, but the military is there to, to do martial things. And somebody uh, who thinks they're inclined to want to join military service needs to examine that in the context of their faith. Uh, they need to talk to friends and family and probably find Christians in the service to talk to and ask them kind of like we're discussing, right? Is how do you reconcile these the, the horrors of war even if what's happening is lawful with the conscience and uh, don't join in haste, right? Don't, don't run to the military because you think it's the only thing, your only opportunity or option. Um, you have to, you have to factor in the heart as well. Um, so talk to others who are there, talk to Christians in particular who are in the military, talk to your friends and your family, people that you consider uh, more mature in the faith, get their feedback and, in the end, pray and do what you believe God is telling you to do. Amen to that. JP, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this topic. Your insight has been very helpful, and I'm sure somebody out there is going to get this, and it's going to be a timely message for them. Uh, thanks, Hank. Well, that is going to do it for this edition of Candid Christian Conversations. Be sure to head to the website, standfirmmedia.com slash subscribe to subscribe and follow our podcast. For JP, I'm Hank. Until the next time, we're signing off. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe in your app of choice by heading to standfirmmedia.com slash subscribe. Candid Christian Conversations is a Stand Firm Media production.